Welcome back to this wonderful Tuesday evening, everyone. I am Austin Stokel, and I'm your host, and this is the Get Stoked Podcast. This week, we are going to cover a couple of the big games that happened from this weekend. Kansas dismantling Baylor, Duke in North Carolina, Michigan at Purdue. We'll talk about those, as well as some of the bigger matchups in the NBA, and a lot of big Michigan news coming out of Ann Arbor. We'll dive right into that as well. What's happening in Ann Arbor and around the league, and I mean the NCAA football league, even though it's not really a league. And I'll also dive in to what's happening in the NFL with the coaching carousel, all coming up on this episode of the Get Stoked Podcast. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We had an amazing weekend of college basketball here, specifically on Saturday. And this is the first topic I'd like to dive into, starting off from Saturday's slate of top 25 matchups. We had Michigan visiting Purdue in West Lafayette. Michigan keeping it close, but sadly being defeated by the number four ranked Purdue Boilermakers. 82-276, and watching this game, I was surprised how close Michigan kept it. I don't believe Michigan trailed more than double digits at certain times, but Hunter Dickinson, Caleb Houston, and several others of this talented yet somewhat lost Michigan squad, they kept it close, and I was really excited about that because that tells me how Michigan is able to actually get back on track they are able to keep it close with good teams like Purdue, who is likely to win the Big Ten during the regular season. And I hope that Michigan can actually keep it together as they continue down this road towards making a berth in March Madness. Again, this was an 82-76 to game for Purdue, moving them to 20-3, and moving Michigan to 11-9. and up next is Auburn giving ourselves a stare down against Georgia and a scare against Georgia. Auburn scraping by 74 to 72, taking this one to the wire as the Auburn Tigers narrowly escape with this victory, staying at number one at 22 and one, where Georgia falls to six and 17. Auburn making a very great case of being the number one overall seed coming into March next month. And their schedule does not get any easier, though. They are playing at a top level that I have never seen in the history of my existence here on this earth. And I'm excited. I would love to see someone other than Duke, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Kansas, or even Michigan State be number one for a change and that has to go with Auburn because Auburn is playing like they belong in that one seed conversation they belong like they are a title contender and I'm all for it I'm all for it Auburn give us good games like this again hopefully you don't lose but hopefully 
you win out the rest of the season because I believe that you can definitely do that. Again, Auburn escapes with a narrow win over Georgia, 74-72. to 72. And this next game I'm about, I'm about to talk about, I've watched this <laughs> going past midnight Eastern time. UCLA, who was ranked at number three, now dropped nine spots to number 12 after this week's rankings came out. You guys handed Arizona State that win against you. Arizona State winning in triple overtime at Arizona State, 87-84 against the top number three ranked, top three ranked UCLA. UCLA dropping to 16-4, where Arizona climbs up one spot to 7-13. I got to say, this game was, it was sloppy. I have to hand it to Arizona State for pulling out this gritty win over UCLA. But UCLA, they looked sloppy. Uh, They missed a lot of layups. Three points, I can understand. But easy layups? Come on. You're UCLA. You are a blue blood of NCAA basketball. And Johnny Juzang tried his best to keep it together for UCLA. But they did not look good at all. They did not look like a top three team at all. Maybe top 25 at best. But outs, they did not look like a top 25 team, honestly. I'm going to have to admit that. They did not look like a top three team. They didn't look like a top 10 team. They did not even look like a top 15 or 25 team. UCLA winning, losing this one by three after so many missed layup opportunities, missed free throws, missed three-pointers, missed assignments going man-to-man or zone defense against the 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 Arizona State team. But I got to say, UCLA, if you want to be a one seed, you got to do better. This was a very sloppy performance by UCLA. Great win for Arizona State, but sloppy. And I hope they can improve and learn from this loss against Arizona State. And the big... Another big game coming out of the Pac-12 I have for you is number seven Arizona pulling off the home win against number 19 USC. Something I believe I predicted with Arizona winning over USC. Arizona wins 72-63 to at home, proving that Arizona is a good team. I know I've said that maybe once or twice in the past, but I think they belong as a definite one I take that back. Not a one seed. They are a definite two or three seed moving in to March. As as we propel through February here, Arizona looking like a good favorite to win the Pac-12. Possibly another team has yet to emerge. They're sitting pretty at 19-2 and two as USC falls to 19-4. and four. Again, Arizona wins 72-63. to 63. And the big game outside of the Duke-North Carolina matchup I would like to discuss now is number 10 Kansas dismantling Baylor 83-59. to Rock chalk to the Jayhawks at Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence, Kansas. This was a great rebound win for Kansas right here. After taking that loss against Kentucky, I got to say, Kansas, you impress me. You really do. And I I could see Kansas making it all the way to the Final Four if they perform at this level. And how they dismantled the 
current national championship champions Baylor. Ooh, it gave me shivers. Oh my goodness, Shivy, shiver me timbers to the Jayhawks. They performed astoundingly. It was stellar defense, amazing offense. They're hitting almost every shot that they took, and Baylor just did not stand a chance. I have to give it to the Jayhawks. They could be they they could be any team. It looks like they can beat any team in this country, including. Auburn, including Gonzaga, including Duke, including Kentucky, if they face them again, including Purdue. And I am excited to see what they do come the next few games down the road, coming into the Big 12 tournament, coming into March Madness. Kansas, I am probably going to pick you to be in the Final Four, honestly. If you keep playing like this, I'm excited to see what you do in the next few weeks Again, Kansas winning this amazing Big 12 game, 83-59. to 59. On to now, the Duke-North Carolina game that was highly anticipated by ESPN. Duke taking this one, 87-67, and Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, winning his 50th overall game against North Carolina. I almost said Purdue they get there. They weren't playing Purdue. They're playing the Tar Heels, a famed rivalry to be sure. And Duke looked like they belonged in the top five after this one. Duke this season, they've been good. Don't get me wrong. They definitely have a rebound year after last season. And Coach K might as well win his final championship with Duke this season if they continue on this war path. I could definitely see it. I see Duke going all the way this season. As much as I really don't like Duke, given that there are they are an extreme powerhouse team, I can see him winning. I definitely do. I could call it right now if I wanted to. I could see Purdue or Duke in the final, but more likely for me is Auburn-Duke in the final. That would be a great game where Duke barrels through Auburn like – Baylor did against Gonzaga last season. I could see it happening. It's going to be amazing. Duke playing well offensively, but better defensively. And Coach K is the great coach to prove that. And again, Duke winning this one in blowout fashion in Chapel Hill, 87-67. And the final game I would like to discuss here is Michigan State traveling to unranked Rutgers, where they lose... 84 to 63. Coach Izzo, what happened? You guys were favored to win this one, and Rutgers dismantled you on the road in Piscataway, New Jersey. I would love to see the replay on this. Unfortunately, I've not had the chance to see it yet. But Rutgers looking like a definite dark horse team. Don't get me wrong, Rutgers has always been a team that is challenging to play, whether they're at Rutgers or on the road. And I could see Rutgers making a dark horse run in the tournament coming up here soon. Rutgers moves up to 13-9, while Michigan State moves down to 17-5 and on the season. I, I could see Rutgers kind of making a case for themselves in the Big Ten tournament. You could say otherwise, but I, I could definitely see it. Upset galore coming for Rutgers. I could see it happening all day long in the tournament, no matter who they play. It could be Auburn. It could be Purdue. It could be Duke, North Carolina. 
well, they're not exactly ranked North Carolina. I could see them beating Gonzaga. They could play anyone and hang on with them anywhere in the country. And I love to see how Rutgers just dismantle great teams like Michigan State. And they definitely did just that against the Spartans from this past Saturday. 84-63 to in favor of Rutgers. And that does it for the top 25 slate of this past weekend for NCAA hoops on to now the NBA here in a hot second. Before I move into the scores from this past weekend, there is a lot of trading going on in the NBA, such as the new Orleans Pelicans have acquired Portland guard CJ McCollum, and they are trading Josh Hart, Sam Thomas or Thomas, Satoransky and Nico Alexander Walker and Didi Lazuda to the deal, which is a lot for CJ McCollum, who has been an all-star guard and partnered with a uh, Damian Lillard. I could not remember his name for a second, but Damian Lillard, Damian Lillard is staying behind. And Portland is also sending Larry Nance Jr. and Tony Snell to New Orleans with CJ McCollum. So the question is, did Portland get enough for this trade? Maybe. We'll have to see how CJ McCollum does in New Orleans. And uh, another big thing coming out of the NBA is, if this page loads for me, one second, it is Sacramento Kings working on a six-player trade that includes DeMontis Sabonis, Tyrese Halliburton, and four more others. So... DeMontis Sabonis is going to Sacramento for a package that is including guard Tyrese Halliburton out of Sacramento. And the Pacers are including Jeremy Lamb, Lamb, excuse me, Justin Holiday, and a 2027 second round pick in exchange for Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson going to Indianapolis. And Karis LeVert has gone to Cleveland. And Karis LeVert, I think, is a good pick for Cleveland. They have a very good lineup there. And I'm excited to see what he can do in Cleveland. But Indiana is trading a, two of their best players out from Indianapolis. And I'm confused why they included Halliburton into this trade because he's a great player for Sacramento. He's been doing well for Sacramento. But I would love to see the reasoning that the Sacramento Kings made this trade. And... Plus, the NBA trade deadline is confusing. It's coming up already. And I have to say, the NBA is confusing. We all know it is. It's somewhat entertaining to watch. But it's also somewhat frustrating to watch as well. As players come and go, players move a lot. And now, after that little spiel of mine, we're going to move right into the NBA scoreboard from this past Saturday. Which is... Uh, One of the bigger games is the Heat dismantling the Hornets 104-86 to as Miami traveled to Charlotte and dismantled the Hornets in very Heat-like fashion. Jimmy Butler going off, Kyle Kyle Lowry going off as well. And this upcoming Friday, excuse me, I'd just like to say that the Hornets will be in Detroit facing the Pistons at a game I will be going to attend for 
not my own leisure, but for something something completely entirely different, which I can explain on Friday for you. And another big game coming out of the NBA. I'm only going to capitalize on two because everything else is kind of just mediocre basketball, honestly. It's the NBA. You got some good talent, but not a lot of people are truly invested in it like they are in college basketball. Another big game that went to overtime is Los Angeles winning 122 to 115 in Crypto.com Arena. I still don't like that name. Staples Center sounds so much better. Always has been, always will. Uh, LeBron going off, AD going off, Russell Westbrick, not so much. They had to bench him in overtime, which was a it, it was a interesting decision on Frank Vogel's part. But they still won, 122-115. to 115. Knicks fall into 24-29, while the Lakers are still under 500, 26-28, kind of making a mid-season push to go above 500, making an eight-seed case for themselves with LeBron. He's cruising. He's definitely cruising and keeping him afloat, that's for sure. And I have to say LeBron, he's a phenomenal player, truly is. And I'm fortunate to have watched his career in these last 19 seasons. He's not going to stop. He's not slowing down anytime soon. He's not getting any younger either. And I would love to see him and Bronny play somewhere. And I, I kind of think he might pass uh, Kareem at, for all-time scoring list. And it definitely looks like that could possibly happen. And he's just over, I believe, 3,000 points away from doing that. Will he do it in four years? Probably not. He might do it in five. We'll see, though. But again, Lakers win it in overtime at home, 122 to 115. And you know what? I might as well just go throughout the rest of the games on Saturday. Bucks win it at Portland, 137 to 108 with Giannis. Being Giannis onto the he is just the Greek freak. And the next game is Memphis. Winning against Orlando, one thirty-five to one fifteen, with John Morant making a really good case for MVP. The Phoenix Suns traveling to Washington, winning ninety-five to eighty. Chris Paul, I think, making a really good case for MVP as long as well as Devin Booker. And I could talk about the MVP race coming up here uh, this coming Friday, or I could do it next Tuesday. I haven't truly decided yet. And then the last game is Oklahoma City traveling to Sacramento, losing one hundred three to one thirteen. And that is a wrap for the NBA in a nutshell. But I thought it'd be a little more important to talk about the trade deadline and the confusing, confusing trades that some of these teams have made. Up next is Michigan and the NFL carousel and some hires that Michigan and the NFL have made. There has been quite a stir in the NFL specifically around Brian Flores, the former Miami Dolphins head coach. He is suing the NFL for discrimination and the Rudy rule, which if you do not know what the Rudy rule is, is that the NFL is required to interview a person of color for any position, such as head coach, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator. And uh, they, the Miami Dolphins let, go of Brian Flores after winning the last eight out of the nine games in the regular season, which completely throws me off. Then they hired, can't remember who off the top of my head, but he is suing the NFL for discrimination. 
against him. And if you if you kind of don't know, there isn't a lot of minority coaches or general managers in the NFL. And some teams have been making moves to change that. Like just recently, the Houston Texans have hired Lovey Smith to become their head coach. And Lovey Smith was a former Illinois coach who did not have the best record at Illinois. And another head coach hire was the Saints hiring from in-house, which was their defensive coordinator, Dennis Allen, to their head coach position, as well as Mike McDaniel, the San Francisco offensive coordinator, moving to the Dolphins. That is who the Dolphins picked, was Mike McDaniel. So my apologies on not remembering him at all. And diving into this whole debacle with the lawsuit with Brian Flores is can he prove systemic racism and what we know about the claims of sham interviews and incentivizing tanking. So a little bit more on the tanking aspect. Uh, Brian Flores also claims in his lawsuit that Stephen M. Ross, who is the owner of the Dolphins and who is a prominent University of Michigan donor, uh, he came to Flores encouraging him to tank and lose games for getting a higher draft pick. And he incentivized that by offering him $100,000 for every game they lose in an effort to secure the number one pick, specifically in the 19 draft class. And this also kind of goes alongside with sham interviews, which this is what Brian Flores is calling in an interview. And and I quote, Flores put in a legal document what black coaches have said privately for years, specifically that they receive job interest to fulfill the NFL's Rooney rule, which I already explained, but I'll say it again, which requires teams to interview two external minority candidates for vacant head coaching jobs and are not considered serious candidates for many openings. To illustrate the point, Flores stated that he received word three days before he interviewed for the Giants' vacant spot on January 27th that the job would go to Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable. As evidence, Flores produced screenshots of text messages from New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick, who appeared aware of Dable's impending hire. So initially... Brian Flores thought the Giants coaching job was going to go to him. And I think he would have been a great candidate for it. But Bill Belichick texted him that that was not the case. It was going to Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, Dable, however you want to pronounce it. And I got to say, I, I feel bad for him. And I think he has a very valid case. It may be a little far-fetched on some aspects but for the Rooney rule I think he's on the nose and the Rooney rule I I believe is just stupid I don't think you should for anything have uh, a fill-in for interviewing two external minority candidates you should just do that anyways you should look at a person whether it's Brian Flores or any minority coach or any coach for that matter and say look is he going to fulfill our role And if he is, let's interview him. And I think that you should interview them regardless, whether say, hey, look, we're going to interview you. We have interest in you. We may not choose you, but if we do, great. We believe that you can 
fit this role perfectly for this organization. You And we believe that you can bring a lot to the table. I think that's how it should go. It shouldn't be, a, you should just have to fill a requirement. That's kind of stupid, I think. And it's kind of weird in place. The Rooney role has been, it's been touchy the last several years. And I remember back to one of my college classes, a sport management class where we discussed the Rooney role, specifically the pros and cons of it, more cons and pros and how it could be potentially changed. And I got to say, I think this is a valid case for Brian Flores. I know the NFL tried to say that it was without merit, which is kind of, it's kind of a touchy subject, of course, with the case for systemic racism and all that. But I think Brian Flores, he's a very good coach. He's a very good candidate for any coaching position, regardless of what the team. And I hope that he finds a position that will suit him. I really do. I think he's a very good coach. He led Miami not to eight out of nine wins last season. I don't think he should have been fired. I think he led Miami to a very interesting kind of middle of the pack season where they have potential of moving up and these allegations are serious I'm not going to say that they're not but I would love to see how this plays out I hope it plays out in Brian Flores's favor I hope things happen for the better I think I hope things change for the better where we don't have to have teams interviewing two external minority coaches for vacant head coaching jobs And I hope that they consider them in the future because if they don't consider them, then what's the point? Just to fill a requirement that's, I don't know, just kind of there, the Rooney rule. I think the Rooney rule needs to change. And that is all I will say about that. And kind of shifting gears a little bit, moving to college football, I know Jim Harbaugh interviewed with the Vikings. It did not work well. Jim Harbaugh is back. And now Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator for Michigan, is heading to Miami, not the Dolphins, but the Hurricanes, for their offensive coordinator job. In a, I, I believe it was a couple texts to players, he said that he wasn't feeling appreciated by the Michigan administration and he thought it was time to leave. And I think he did a great job at Michigan. He's getting, He got a lot of hate for really unknown reasons, I think. He could have done a little bit better job at some parts. But overall, I think he did a great job. I thank him for his service at Michigan. I wish him the best of luck to uh, Miami. I hope he does a great job in Miami. And I, I wish him the best of luck. And also, Mike McDonald left for Baltimore. I wish him the best of luck. And as of today, I believe Michigan is hiring the defensive coordinator from Vanderbilt who has ties to Baltimore and to fill Michigan's defensive coordinator position. And it is also stated that Michigan is likely to bump up two of Michigan's coordinators to become co-offensive coordinators. And I think that's going to be a good fit. And Michigan is hiring Vanderbilt, or likely set to hire, rather, if I read this correctly. It's set to hire, not any other way. They are going to 
hire Vanderbilt defensive coordinator Jesse Minter for the same position as defensive coordinator with Vanderbilt and the Wolverines. And he was a defensive assistant for three seasons in Baltimore. And I think that's a good fit. I really do. I hope he fits the job well. I think he can bring a lot of expertise to the position, a lot of young talent. He is 38, and I would love to see what he does with the position. And I know Michigan is hiring within to bump up to the offensive coordinator, but I think Minter can do a really good job on the defensive front. He did a pretty good job in Baltimore and at Vanderbilt. So I'd really love to see what happens. I I think that... Michigan can benefit greatly from this hire, but we'll see. We shall see. And Michigan still has a little bit to figure out in the coming weeks, in the coming months, but I would love to see how everything evolves, whether that's NFL, NBA, NCAA, NHL, whatever have you. I'll cover some of the biggest stories here for you. And, of course, I'll cover them after they come out. I have no sources. I'm not I'm not Adam Schefter, and I don't have those big of sources yet. But that is all for this section of NCAA and NFL debacle. And, yeah, that, that's really all I have for you today on that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Get Stuck Podcast. I'll have more content for you on Friday as we get ready for Super Bowl weekend, as it is Super Bowl week, as we get ready to watch the end of the season of the NFL as Los Angeles Rams are at home, but they are the away team against the Cincinnati Bengals. I'll dive more on Friday. And of course, talk about big games in the NBA basketball. And I'll actually dive into hockey this time coming up this Friday. And But before I go, not to end it on a sad note, but Al Glick, a longtime friend and benefactor to the University of Michigan, has passed away at the age of 95, according to Michigan Athletics and Al Rose Steel. He was the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Al Rose Steel. And he has maintained a relationship with the university for more than six decades. Al Glick has his name on the Al Glick Fieldhouse where Michigan practices. And he had a chair up there for watching the practices reserved just for him. Al Glick, you will be missed dearly. And thank you for everything you've done for the University of Michigan. And that does it for me on this episode of this podcast. Thank you so much again. We will see you on Friday.